you can't heal a body you hate. You, know, you can't shame your way into wellness. You can't obsess your way into health. So on a practical level, like what I do with in functional medicine is realizing that there's amazing science and tools and biohacks and therapies that we can do to improve your health. But if you're obsessing your way into health, that energy is going to create a completely different result. So there should be a grace and lightness into wellness. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt. All new episode of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. This is your host, Matt Labrie, and joining us today is Dr. Will Cole as we are entering into a conversation on how the evolutionary mismatch of culture, society, etc., and our humanness, our DNA, is leading to a health crisis on numerous fronts. Now, conversations like these are so important for many reasons, but mostly to shine light on the fact that healing is possible mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and beyond. So in this conversation, here are a few of the many points you will walk away with. Number one, knowing that our environment has an impact on us. I'm sure you already know that. How do we create an environment, no matter where we are in this world, that will work in our favor and support us? Number two, you might hear the term dysregulated when it comes to the nervous system or other functions of the body. So what does that really mean? As opposed to being just a really catchy social media topic. And furthermore, how do we then regulate the systems of the body? Number three, the importance of finding our center when it comes to health. So that when life gets a little cray cray and shit hits the fan and we stray away from center, we know where to come back to. Number four, we dive into trauma, eating, and other ways of life being passed down, generational. But if that's the case, life is yin and yang, so healing too can be passed down from generation to generation. That is something that we're diving into Dr. Cole today. Number five, how stillness, prayer, yoga, or however you find stillness impacts our health and why it is so crucial to find that. And of course, so much more in between all of these points. You already know what is to come next. If you are a returning member of our podcast community, or if this is your first time tuning in, let me remind you, you can be doing anything else in the world right now, but you chose this podcast, not just this podcast, but this episode. So let's embrace the fact that there's probably something within this episode from Dr. Cole or a question that I ask him that is meant to find you today. There's something within this episode that is meant to find you today. So open yourself up to that idea. Open yourself up to the possibilities that are to come from your life that may be unraveling. Maybe this is just the start or maybe this is the tipping point that helps you create change, positive change, of course. Furthermore, I'm gonna ask you to share this episode with the people in your life. Whether you screenshot and share it on social media, whether you screenshot and share it on X or Twitter or Facebook or this one or that one, sharing this is so important. And now without further ado, we bring to you Dr. Will Cole. Hello. Dr. Cole, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You ready to rock? Yeah. Sorry for the delay. It made me update my Google Chrome, so I didn't do that. But. No worries. No worries at all. No worries at all. If you're good to jump in, I'll kick it off with yeah. a question that I think every conversation should start with. I mean, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Navigating life to the best of my ability, as we all are, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Where are you based out of? I'm in New York City. Are, are you still in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I'm in Pittsburgh. Okay, cool. Cool. Born and raised? Yep. Yep. 
I love it here. I lived in LA for a while, but I moved back and live in the country and it's great. I'm curious, what do you feel like uh, living in Pittsburgh has gifted you? And I'll give you an example. Like I'm born and raised in Queens, New York. Like I feel like just like I'm careful with how I say this, but like a hustler's spirit. Mm -hmm. I've now transitioned into mindfully hustling. But I'm curious, like what gift do you feel like Pittsburgh has given you? That's a good question. I mean, I... It's, I've lived in different places. As I mentioned, I, LA in many ways is like another second home in a way. I don't have a home there. You know what I mean? Just, I feel at home when I'm there and I have a lot of family there and friends within wellness and go out for work. And my podcast is with Dear Media. So we're based out there too, primarily. So I have a a lot of roots in LA, but is nothing like Pittsburgh for me. I think it's, for me, it's, I like nature. And Pittsburgh itself, the city is smaller city where it still is everybody from Pittsburgh. If you're not, if you don't live in Pittsburgh, there's like this kinship (laughs) of being from this like neighborhood city, if you will, where it still has a small town feel and there's a lot of, roots here. But I live a country, rural area in Western Pennsylvania, and nature is very therapeutic. This is the Naomi nature. You can get nature in different places. But for me, it's home plus nature. There's something very healing about it. I like the simplicity of it. And Pittsburgh, in many ways, geographically, is kind of the gateway to the Midwest, where it's still Pennsylvania. And if you go to Philadelphia, it's completely, it's more New York, and Pittsburgh's more Ohio (laughs) and Midwest, (laughs) which is, it's a confluence of different energies, I think, geographically in the United States. So I love it for many reasons. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. When was the first moment you realized that you love nature? I think it's actually, even the people that say, I'm a city kid, I don't like nature. Their science speaks for itself, that it's actually very healing for every human. It's whether we recognize its healing capacity or not. And it may be foreign for some people. I'm not saying like full on camping at a tent and roughing it, but I'm saying the actual being in nature, no matter how long or short that you decide to spend it, it's very healing. So it's just something I was very aware of. I think maybe it was growing up in it, you kind of take it for granted. But when you move away and go to some place like LA, or I go to New York a lot for work, it's that contrast. You realize, whoa, I love the stillness. I love the the space. I love the, the quiet. I love it all with what nature can provide us. So I don't know. And maybe it's the contrast from the city. You realize how frenetic the city is compared to the country. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head for me. You said something like growing up in it, you know, we we don't necessarily recognize its beauty per se, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I remember vividly growing up during the summer months of like elementary school, my parents would like pull me away from the city to go down to Williamsburg, Virginia. I'm like, guys, yeah. come on. Like, I just want to play manhunt in the street with my friends. <laughs> like, where are you taking me? Granted, we yeah. were going to visit family and I remember like sitting on their porch and just like watching the hummingbirds come up and like eat the food and like how beautiful it is for me to think back on it now. Back then I wanted to like kill them with my hat, like try and catch them, you know, (laughs) so different. I I really resonate with what you're saying in regards to the beauty of nature. I mean, I've started to realize it 2018 when I was in France, how healing water was for me, like Mm. And ever since I've done like flotation therapy and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you sharing that sentiment. It means a lot. But um, yeah, Colonial uh, Williamsburg, my parents took me into Colonial Williamsburg too growing up and I didn't appreciate it. It's funny you mentioned that because just the other day I was talking to my wife. I'm like, we should go to Williamsburg. I was there as a kid and I took it for granted. I would love it now. I love American history. So it'd be fun to go. You just brought me back. I forgot about Jamestown. I believe it's called Jamestown, correct? Jamestown, but Williamsburg has a lot of history too. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. 
I'm curious. Let's kick this off with a curveball to an extent, not to stump you by any means, but I'm just really curious knowing that you have your own podcast, you hop on podcasts left and right. What's a question you wish more people would ask you? Honestly, the questions that you asked me so far, I like like things that I don't always get to talk about or out of the box sure. questions that are just like, I guess, personal, relational, get to know somebody in a different way versus what they're known for with their work. I think that brings like a humanness to it, relatability. So there's not one specific question, but I think questions like you're actually asking me, I'm used to going on like the science podcast or the wellness, nutrition stuff, whatever, fitness podcast. And they're great, right? They're, they're definitely what I'm used to and in my space, but it's cool to shake things up a bit and talk to people, mm. still talk about that stuff, but also uh, get different perspectives and get asked from different perspectives. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the whole purpose of a podcast, right? I mean, I've been doing this for five years. If we were doing this five years ago, you would probably be like, Matt, you're you're boring the hell out of me right now. Because <laughs> uh, I would have dove right into the health stuff. I mean, I want to talk to you about that. Well, like, we could go there. I don't want to, I don't want to like shoo you away from it. But I like it. People don't know what they're going to get. And I, I like it. Yeah. And it makes it interesting. All right. So let's get to know Dr. Cole a little bit deeper. You know, we're, we're talking about where you're from, like how much you enjoy nature, etc. I'm just really curious, like, what was it that put you down the route of pursuing health? Like, was it, you know, maybe something in your life that you experienced? Or was it just a general interest? I grew up in a home that was interested in it. So it was kind of Okay. In the background ethos of like the the five of our home. But then, you know, I was the kid going to the health food co-op and the quote unquote crunchy family. And my dad was a bodybuilder. So it really wasn't crunchy. You know what I mean? It was like 80s, 90s, like fitness world. And I thought it was uh, normal to have your dad looped up with baby oil in like a turquoise Speedo in 1993. But it, it wasn't. It was the bodybuilding world. So that kind of was formative for me on looking at food and looking at exercise and fitness. And my dad had a whole gym in the house. Like that was my early years. Right. And then, and I'd go to the health food store and get the random, like we didn't have the selection back then that we have today as far as like healthier for you, like better for you, healthy options. But we had, you know, got the granola, got the whatever, raw milk and all the things we did back then. Then that evolved and, you know, kids can kind of adopt it for themselves and live their life and make the decision that they want to live the life they want to live. And for me, I started really owning it for myself. And it wasn't just something that my mom did or my dad did. It was something that I was really fascinated with. So I, my first job was at the finish line, you know, selling shoes, the mall. And I'd use my paycheck to go <laughs> to the health food store and buy like the latest superfood I read about or the latest herb that I read about. I was biohacking before biohacking was hanging at like young. Like I was very young, 15, 16 years old, I guess. And through high school, that's what I did. And I'd pack my lunches and pack like my lunches looked so different than, and I'd pack my own lunches. <laughs> and I'd, I'd be eating like whole bell peppers and like ripping out the seeds and like eating and crunching on them as like 17 years old. So that I was a weird kid, I guess, in hindsight you could say. And I wanted to be formally trained in nutrition science. So I went to Southern California University of Health Sciences, where I was formally trained. And there's all types of doctors. There's DCs, MDs, DOs, acupuncturists, oriental medicine, nurse practitioners all there learning their different craft, teaching their crafts within health sciences. So I graduated knowing I wanted to be in functional medicine. And yeah, the rest is what I've been doing for the past 13 years. We started at the first functional medicine telehealth center, 
And 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm here in this room most days and getting to talk to people around the world. And it basically hasn't changed in 13 years. This is what I do. Mm. So in numerous different capacities, you've brought up how your environment impacts you, right? You talked mm. about nature already, and you also talked about having a gym in your home growing up. Yeah. I'm curious, what are your pieces of advice for us to start ensuring that our environment, whether it be our home, because, hey, I mean, just getting up and moving might not be in the cards for everyone. But what's your advice for us to start allowing our environment to work for us? It's a good question. You know, I think there's research to show if you bring nature inside, even pictures of nature, there's studies that show even pictures of nature. So if you live in an urban area, you don't have access to a park or a forest, Mm -hmm. even pictures even bringing plants into your home, even bringing in like a water feature or aromatherapy, like something from nature shifts our mood. And I think we need to do more of that, especially for those of us who, for my job, I'm in telehealth. I'm looking at a computer 10 hours a day. I have to be on social media for my job. I'm on there even more because of that. I don't want to be, but I'm using the best of technology, the the privileges of technology without with trying to find a healthy balance. And it's not perfect. Certainly it's not perfect. But I think that we need to set ourselves up, like create a sacred space for your workspace or your living space. At home and work should be as much as you can with what access you have, with what's within your budget. Do what you can. It's not all or nothing to cultivate a place of a sanctuary, a place of stillness to mitigate stress. Like we live, like looking at a screen all day can be stressful. Busy schedules are stressful. Relationships jobs can be stressful. What can we do to support the parasympathetic, that resting, digesting aspect? Because what I do clinically, I see a lot of nervous system dysregulation that's impacting the what's called the neuroimmunoendocrine axis or the intersection between the nervous system, the immune system in the form of chronic inflammation and the endocrine system, your hormones. And there's dysregulation in all three of those areas. So yes, food plays a role in that. There's a lot of things we can talk about that, but it's not just about what we're feeding our body with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's like, what are we serving our head and our heart on a daily basis that's impacting our physical health? So our space is a central role in that. So people have clutter in their homes, like Marie Kondo it up for patients to really like, what can we do to simplify so your outer space can create inner space for your health? So that means different things for different people, but I think people need to like just create an outer space that's in alignment with how they want to feel inside. And yeah, that's a good first step. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to touch on something you mentioned, and I don't want to come off as a quote unquote rookie. I'm not a doctor by any means. I mean, I went to school for business and can make assumptions, but I hear regulating or dysregulating of the nervous system often, whether it be on social or in books or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean? Just for clarity purposes. So it means depending on what you're talking about. So when you're when you hear it mostly on social media, And even when I was saying that flippantly, we were talking about nervous system regulation. But let's talk about that larger neuroimmunoendocrine axis. There's regulation with the immune system. There's immune system with regulation with the nervous system. And there's regulation with the endocrine systems. Those are the three main ones that you'd see. In short, we're talking about is homeostasis. It's proper signaling. It's proper balance. It's proper expression of that system. It's the body operating the way that it should be. So specifically with the nervous system, we have two main branches. We have the sympathetic fight or flight sort of stress response, and then the parasympathetic, the resting, digesting response. Mm. Both are good. Both are needed. Not One is not good. One is not bad. So the problem is we have dysregulation here where most people are overactive in their fight or flight stress state and underactive in their parasympathetic, their resting, i.e. anti-anxiety, calm, 
calming, grounded, and digesting their gut health. So we have to strengthen what's weak and calm down what is overactive or regulate. That's what we're talking about there. But that can apply to the immune system too. Most people are in an immune system dysregulation in the form of chronic inflammation. Inflammation is not inherently bad. We need it to fight off viruses and bacteria. But chronic inflammation is inflammation too high for too long. We need to regulate that. And same with our hormones. Hormones, stress hormones are a good example of that, right? Hormone, we think, oh, stress hormones are bad. No, they're not. We just want proper regulation of them. So we have what's called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the brain adrenal communication or the neuroendocrine communication. And cortisol, we want cortisol, but in proper balance. We want it higher in the morning appropriately in a nice S-shaped circadian rhythm. That's part of our sleep-wake cycle or our, our energy throughout the day and good rejuvenative healing sleep at night. So melatonin can come at, through the night. So all of those things are good in balance and you don't want too high. You don't want it too low. You want it just right. And that is the Goldilocks principle, right? It's not too high, not too low, but just right. It's homeostasis. So that's what dysregulation means when we're using that or when you're hearing that on social media probably means the nervous system, but it's this larger cascade because the body's interconnected. If you have nervous system dysregulation, you're going to probably have immune system dysregulation and you're probably going to have endocrine dysregulation because the body's connected. Absolutely. I'm curious to learn if it's possible to have the systems of the body firing on all cylinders optimized individually, or is it something that we're just like continuously striving to get to that point? That's a good point. There's no panacea. There's no like demigod or demigoddess status for somebody who has no problems. It's in flux, right? So it's not that it's a static state where we've arrived and we start floating and glowing and not having any health issues. We still are aging. We still live in a very dysfunctional, externally dysregulated world with a lot of environmental toxins, etc. So it's not about perfection. It's about optimization. It's not about being, you know, living in a bubble and not at living life. It's about having resilience and having wiggle room to live life and not pay for it. And it's about having the overall larger areas, biomarker standpoint, a data standpoint, a lab standpoint, it generally looking great. And that doesn't mean that we're going to you know, we're going to all go through stressful times in our life or be exposed to something or feel run down or whatever. And you're going to see snapshots of the labs kind of going towards areas we don't want. But we overall have a resilience and we can get those things back on track. Hopefully that answers your question. So yeah, what I was going to ask you, the reason I asked that question is because I generally ask it from the perspective of, do you feel like we can mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically financially, et cetera, be at a certain level or is one of them a little imbalanced at times? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think we have to do the best we can. To answer your question, I'm thinking of my patients. I'm going through my mind. I'm like, okay, the areas of the life. Yeah. I mean, I think we, you can get to the place where more or less some areas are going to be relatively weaker than others like because mm -hmm. you can only spend so much attention on one versus the other. But I find that there's a resilience for everything. There's a grace. There's a lightness to everything. So it still wouldn't be perfect by whatever perfection standards are. But there's this inner non-resistance. There's this inner acceptance acceptance and enjoyment are in their life. There's a vibrant vitality to their life. So there's people that find peace. There's finding the people that find peace and wholeness in their life. And that's on all levels. That's in their career. That's in their relationships. And it's in their relationship with themselves and their health and their labs are concerned. So these are things that I'm clinically monitoring and coaching and really guiding people over the course of 
I'm really with people actively and most patients for about two years watching these things be optimized. But then for the past 13 years, I have patients for a dec- over a decade where I see once a year, twice a year, just running labs. Yeah. And I see really doesn't mean tough times won't happen. Tough times will happen. But they've created like the way that I see it is like they've created a center for themselves, a resilient foundation centeredness, groundedness, where they can pivot from that center, like life will invariably out, like you have to pivot, you have to shake things up a stressful time at work, relationship issues, maybe, or a loss of a loved one, or something coming up, you know, an accident in your life. But there's this resilience that they can pivot from. And they may kind of pivot a little bit too much out of the bounds of their center. And they start having symptoms, like they start creeping up, they start not feeling good, they get fatigued, they get anxious, they're having digestive problems, or having some inflammation. So they want to get back on track to find that center. But I find that when you create that center, you can find it a lot faster versus many people are in such a state of dysregulation and imbalance in their body and their life internally and externally, like their health is a mess. But then externally, it's a mess too, where one begets the other, like the as above, so below, as within, so without. That is very much true. It's both sides of the same coin. So the answer is yes, but things can happen, but you can find your place of resilience if you've lost it. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious from your experience, what does the root cause of disease like boil down to? Is there one particular thing that you could point to? No, it's not one particular thing. So researchers, when you're looking at the epidemic issues that we see today, when you're looking at autoimmune conditions, it's estimated that 50 million Americans have an autoimmune disease. Millions more are somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. That's things like Hashimoto's, Graves, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, MS, lupus, Parkinson's, these type of things either are autoimmune or at least have an autoimmune component to them in the case of Parkinson's. And then you look at things like metabolic issues. It's estimated that the vast majority of Americans, people in the West at large, are somewhere on the insulin resistance spectrum. They're either having metabolic syndrome or PCOS, which is insulin resistance in women to prediabetes to full-blown type 2 diabetes, somewhere on that continuum of insulin resistance or blood sugar dysregulation to the epidemic rise of mental health issues like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue and the impact that can have on hormones, the hormones implications in those issues. There's a whole field of research called the the cytokine model cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's research looking at how does inflammation impact how our brain works to the amount of other hormonal problems that we see. Those are the people that I see every day. So if you want to say the the cause between all of these things, researchers talk about an epigenetic mismatch or an evolutionary mismatch that the majority of our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 plus years, but yet our world has changed dramatically in a very finite period of time when you're putting that in context with the totality of human existence. So it's this chasm between our DNA, which hasn't changed in 10,000 years, and the world around us, which has changed so much. So it's not just one thing, but things that researchers are exploring and have been talked about, I've talked about it for 13 plus years, is the foods we're eating or not eating, our stress levels, exposure to environmental toxins, the decimation of our Earth's soil microbiome, and its intimate connection to our own gut microbiome with the trillions of bacteria in our gut. And, you know, it's a confluence of factors. It's a perfect storm of variables, of epigenetic variables, lifestyle things we have some agency over, some environmental factors that is impacting the expression of our genes. Our genetic predispositions for things like 
autoimmune issues or mental health issues or metabolic issues or cancers or heart disease have been there for 10,000 years, but are being triggered, that are being awoken like never before in human history because of this evolutionary mismatch. So it's not one thing, it's a combination of things. Now there can be things that are tipping points that are obvious and that's where health history comes into play, right? It's like, oh, that virus that person got triggered that problem or that environmental toxin exposure triggered that problem or that unresolved trauma like that traumatic time in their life triggered problems. But that was the straw that broke the camel's back, probably. It's typically a lot of things that are at play there that it's just something was the tipping point for the symptoms to ensue or diagnosis to happen. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a quote unquote reason for the, once again, quote unquote mismatch that we have in society and, and with us as humans who haven't necessarily changed? Like maybe that's a spiritual question. I'm not sure. But do you feel like there's reason to it? Well, it's. I think it's multifaceted, right? It's multifactorial, but I think it is. It's more of a philosophical question. I think we've, modernity has given us amazing advantages, right? And I, I don't want to live in prehistoric time. You know, I, I think we can have the amazing advancements of technology. I'm in telehealth. I love technology. I'm t- I get to talk to people around the world. So it's not an either or. I think the solution is going to be in the both and unless we're forced to and there's some like massive <laughs> electromagnetic destruction of human society as we know it. We're going to have to figure this out either through we'll be forced to because of the amount of chronic health problems and societal problems or we decide proactively to start living in a more sane way. I think it's we've lost our way. The allurement making life easier has made it a lot harder on the human body because we've kind of divorced ourselves from our roots and we're paying the price in the form of chronic health problems. But I think we can still have both. I don't have all the answers. I think people have to make individual decisions and empower themselves on an individual grassroots level, decide what's that sanity look for them. Because if we're going to depend on systems from the top down, like figuring this out for us, good luck. It's not going to work that way. We're going to have to make these decisions and empower ourselves and give ourselves, reclaim what's our responsibility, which is our own health, our own family's health, our own family's protection and doing and figuring this out. And that's what I'm trying to do with on an individual basis with patients. And if they're not my patients, it's why I have the podcasts and books and lots of free resources for people to pick what they want. They don't have to do it all, but to start to move the needle in the positive direction. But I think there's a lot of money in a system that's not necessarily putting human health at the top of their list. Yeah. Yeah. The dollars at the top of the list. Uh, That's definitely something we agree upon. You talked about a starting point. So I want to ask you this question. I saw on your social, you put, and I I love that you said the real flex is a regulated nervous system, balanced hormones, calmed inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. If you were to start with one of those elements, like you had to start with one, which one would you start with? Beautiful thing is that because the body's interconnected, one begets the other. So if you had to look at the most upstream This is debatable. Now I'm thinking, okay, people are going to debate me. The more upstream root issue is going to be the gut-brain axis. And that's the microbiome-mind connection, if you will. That's why I call my latest book, Gut Feelings. It's looking at gut and feelings, so the the crosstalk between the, the two. But physiologically, I think if you wanted to look at like, all right, what's going to be the biggest bang for my buck? What's going to be the biggest needle for me because I'm overwhelmed and this looks like a lot? It would be going to your gut because your gut modulates so much 
It's where 95% of serotonin is made. Your happy neurotransmitter, 50% of dopamine is made in the gut. And they don't pass through the blood-brain barrier, but they work upon what's called the vagus nerve, which is the largest cranial nerve in the body, responsible for that parasympathetic. That I said a lot of people that weren't flexing that vagus nerve so much, it was a had poor vagal tone. It was a weak nerve. It's a weak nerve. And just like anything weak in the body with muscles, you want to work it out to flex it to get strong. That's what you need to do with the vagus nerve. A lot of what you can do with that is really working on your gut health to improve vagal tone. So yeah, supporting your gut health will in turn improve the nervous system, lower inflammation levels, and many hormones are converted and metabolized in the gut as well. So if you want to look at the most upstream, that's why they say all disease begins in the gut. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, said that. Paracelsus, father of toxicology, he, one of another founder of medicine, talked about gut health. Eastern traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine around the world, all the original doctors that are all like the forefathers of modern medicine talked about this. And now research is catching up with antiquity. And, you know, Hippocrates is that many health problems begin in the gut. But as health problems begin in the gut, so can healing begin in the gut when you go there. So that's where I would say if you want to go the most root cause of many things. Yeah. Now, when you talk about healing the gut, does it solely come from nutrition? Or is there, I don't know, some type of somatic practice or something of that sort? It's Yeah, it's both. And that's why I mentioned gut and feelings, physiological yeah. and, me and mental emotional. They both are therapeutic. So for every single patient, we integrate both sides of that coin because mental health is physical health. And things like nutrition, supplementation, we deal a lot with biohacking things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy or ozone therapy or sauna and cold plunge, all that's really in part, what do they all do? They either support gut health or they improve vagal tone or both and lower inflammation levels. But the feeling side of that gut feelings crosstalk, things like breath work, you mentioned somatic practices. We integrate a lot of EMDR practices, just eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, which is a type of therapy basically that helps to metabolize stored trauma. But any movement or somatic practice can do that. So it's dancing for some people, drumming, yoga. These are all body tapping. These are all types of somatic practices that can be very helpful. People, I mentioned a lot of things right there. You don't have to do all the things. Like it's going to be one or two, a handful at most of like what are the biggest needle movers for me? And that's why there's a science and art. It's like, you don't have to do all the things, but what are the most significant effective tools for you at this point in your journey? And that can change and will change probably over time on what are the things that are the most impactful for you and your health. But yeah, both sides, both nutrition, biohacking, and mental, emotional, mind, body practices are really helpful in this area. I love that. I love that. I'm going to ask you a question. This was actually asked to me on the podcast by uh, Dr. Michael Gervais. And when he asked it, I was like, all right, I'm stealing this question and I'm asking it to every other person <laughs> that hops on this show. I know this is our first time connecting, so bear with me here. How would my life or our audience's life be different if we knew what you know? <laughs> That's a good question. Wow. I don't have it all figured out, first and foremost. But I would say if people practice the things that we talk about clinically, the amount of people that settle for a lower quality life is staggering to me. The amount of, and this all exists on a spectrum, but anxiety, even if it's background anxiety, there's sort of that like, that like wired and tired, anxious but exhausted feeling. It is ubiquitous. Burnout, people that have digestive problems, people that have 
hormonal problems, metabolic issues. They know intuitively, like I'm not living my best quality life. I am anxious and exhausted. The realization that you don't have to settle for that because so many people feel like they just have to, like they just have to get through and that's their lot in life. They're putting their intuition on a back burner because they have better things to do, quote unquote. Well, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't really have much. And these are check engine lights. Like these are all check engine lights that our body's trying to tell us something's not working well. And it's like, what are we going to do? Are we going to wait until our body's screaming before we listen? Or can we listen to the still small voice of our body saying these symptoms, I'm nudging you to do something about it. So what could people get if they know what I know is they wouldn't settle for things because if these things are largely improvable, overcomable, healable, reversible, I can do something about it. Then why would we want to settle for anything less? I would say if people knew what I know, they wouldn't settle for things that are overcomable. Yeah. Why do you think we settle? Because it's human nature to put things off. And I think there's a lack of empowerment and education is that even when we do know, well, many people don't know, let me say this. So even when people do know, it's human nature to procrastinate. I, I see many very smart, erudite people that know I could be healthier, but I'm busy. They have all their excuses, right? Some of them are good excuses, but their why has to be bigger than their excuses. And because I have many people that could throw out all the excuses, but they want their health more than they're going to buy into their excuses. But many people aren't even at that point. Many people, I'm just talking about the average person out there. Many people don't even know there's even a different way. I think of Maya Angelou's quote so often is when you know better, you do better. Most people don't even know better because we're trained in a certain way. Culturally, we get our news from a certain thing. The algorithms bent a certain way, the, the distraction, the numbing, the cheap dopamine hits, they are meant to and designed to keep us coming back and being repeat customers, but also numb us from things to get out of it. Yeah, numbing us, we can't break the cycle. It makes it difficult to break the cycle. So I think it's a systemic problem that it, we're, we're set up for failure that many people just don't know. And that's why I think, honestly, so much has changed over the past 13 years being in this space is the advent and the growth of the podcast world. Because I do feel like there's pockets of people that know better now and they're trying to do better. And the longer form conversations, like it's, there's a lack of censorship at this point, at least to some degree. Cause if you look at big, the big like legacy media and stuff like that, a lot of it's ran by pharmaceuticals where they can't even run. Even if the producers or the people that host, believe me, they want to talk about certain things on TV, they can't because they add industry and what's keeping them on the air is saying, no, we can't do that. Like everything's cut out and sterilized and made super vanilla for everybody. So that's where people have gotten their information for years and still the older generation still predominantly getting their information from that system. And I think that's why podcasts can be so threatening because you have these longer form conversations, you get context and you get a different perspective, which is very new to our modern world. When you're looking at the 20th century and now like the of technology and how technology is put out there. So I think the democratization, the decentralization of information, I, I've seen amazing things over the past 13 years, informed populace and wanting, demanding better choice to when it comes to healthcare or decision making or voting with their dollars, whatever it is. And I think that's why you see the growth of the wellness 
health world over the past 13 years is because in part podcasts and people are wanting choice choices. And that shouldn't be threatening. I think it's a positive thing across the board. And the not so good ideas or not so good brands are going to go away because the ultimately the people will pick the things that are producing results and are positive. 100%. You had mentioned the topic of making sure your why is stronger than your excuses. So getting back to knowing Dr. Cole, I'm curious, like, what is your why? Like, what's still driving you? It's a good question. My family is first and foremost, if I had to think about it on a more micro level, like a lot of motivates me of my kids. I often think of the legacy and you think of just in a hundred years or so, we're all going to be in the ground and many of us will not be remembered. I saw this thing recently on social media. It got me really, I always think about this is a concept actually from Rumi, which is the Sufi master. He talked about dying before you die. And it's this meditation of really thinking about our own mortality and maybe the our own you know immortality as well but really our our mortality our time here on earth and what is the legacy we're going to lead so for me on the most like primal like immediate what i think about on my inner circle level it's my kids and like what truly matters how am i going to be remembered when i'm gone so that's my why on a most close level but closely around that circle for the past 13 years i start every morning off with all my team that's in office we have remote workers too but everybody that is in hq at the telehealth center we start our morning off before we even go over case reviews before we go over the labs for the day for patients we start our day in prayer and meditation and holding space for people that are going through really heavy things without fail every day we've done this for 13 years so my why for my strictly my job is being of service for these people that are spending their time and money. And we take that extremely seriously. We call it a sacred responsibility of really wanting people to feel heard, feel seen, and for us to figure out these complex health problems and to give them tools to reclaim their life. So that's that grassroots stuff I was talking about earlier yeah. is really empowering them. And I was talking to a patient, He's a his whole family is a patient of mine now, but he was talking about the, he's in a suburban New Jersey. He was talking about how his whole family dynamic has changed. Like his kids are doing things differently. His wife's doing something different. His mother-in-law is doing things differently. And I think, okay, you look at the research around intergenerational trauma and how trauma can be inherited. Also, food choices can be inherited, like how we do life. Well, that way, That's the way it's always been done. And then that's why chronic health problems are quote-unquote genetic, because yes, there can be a genetic component of it, but how are we living our life, plus unresolved trauma through families? That's what the science is showing. But then I think, okay, as trauma could be inherited, so can healing. And I see people breaking the cycles of that all the time for themselves, for their loved ones. If they don't have kids, like their friend groups, start making healthy go viral is like powerful. So that's a massive why for me too, is like starting to make these sort of grassroots micro shifts towards uh, vibrant wellness. Absolutely. I love that. And uh, it makes me want to ask you, you know, you mentioned prayer. So I understand the impact of like meditation, but I'm curious, the impact of prayer, faith, like believing in a greater power, how does that impact our health? Hugely. I've had researchers at from Columbia University on the podcast talking about the science and looking at brain scans and finding that people that practiced some sort of spiritual practice. It didn't wasn't one thing. Actually, was, there's was common attributes of like kindness and generosity and like key things that could be applied across the board. Even for non, this isn't really even about religion per se. It's about a spiritual practice that could fall within the umbrella of religion, but may not. That any sort of practice that cultivates these key 
character qualities or key states of human existence are associated with longer, healthier, happier life, health span. So that can look different for different people, but that's what the science is showing. So we, it's those acts of stillness that I often talk about. Like what are ways you can create these acts of stillness and flex that mindfulness muscle? And for some people it can be prayer, like a formal prayer. For some people it could be a mantra or meditation. For some people it could be yoga or moving your body. It's anything that gets you in that sort of parasympathetic state. Yeah. So it's available to everybody. It's accessible to everybody. It's completely free. It can look diverse and it's supposed to, but the core like result of that is going to be a better quality health for that person. In effect, it will create a ripple effect for the people around them. Absolutely. I want to move backwards because you touched on something and I don't want this to go left unsaid or unaxed. You know, you alluded to the fact essentially how much you love being a father. And I I really admire that. I'm, you know, someone that would love to be a father in the near future. First question is just like, what has fatherhood taught you? Wow, so much. I mean, it's such a cliche, but it's like you, they oftentimes teach you more (laughs) like life lessons than you teach them. I mean, you teach them things they need to know to be hopefully functioning adults, (laughs) but they teach you deep soul life lessons that you didn't learn. I was talking to a friend, she said once, she said, marriage and parenting is like a meditation and all that's wrong with you. And I think that that is a good way of putting it is that it looks in the areas that are your, where are you selfish? Where are you, where do you have some work to do? And marriage will do that. Any relationship will do that. But parenting will do that too. It accentuates the weak points. So it's like my that Maya Angelou quote again, when you know better, you do better. Hopefully when it shines a light on the weak bits, what can you do to strengthen them? Not to shame yourself, not, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure, but okay, this is an opportunity for growth. And strengthening the weak parts isn't easy. I think that's the point. It's definitely a beautiful experience. And I look back, my son's 17 years old now, and my daughter's 14. Look back, it's like, okay, the cliche here is the days are long, but the years are short. That is so freaking true for life, even if you're not a parent. Like you look back and like decades have gone by, what the heck? Especially with the past few years with the pandemic, I think everybody feels like where, like 2020 to 2024, what the heck, man? But it's, that's like time. And there's some science to show that too. Like time is actually moving faster as well. It is a, uh, what are we going to do with the time we have? And parenting, I think, shines that light even more of like, you, time is borrowed. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. You just gave me one of the most synchronistic moments I've had this week. One of my best friends, his wife just posted that exact quote. I believe it was something along the lines of the days are short, the year, uh, the yeah, days, days are, are long, but the years are short. Yeah. Yeah. She posted that on her Instagram story and said, wear the costume. So she dressed up with her kids for Halloween. And that is exactly what she wrote. So that was very synchronistic. But um, yeah, I love hey, Gar- Carl Young, man. And Carl Young wrote that book on synchronicity. He couldn't prove why there was synchronicity but i mean going back to spirituality it's like he didn't know why he just knew there was something ineffable inexplicable you couldn't explain it fully with science but it was something that's there so it's if people don't recognize this stuff i would encourage them to explore it because it will open up depths of your life that you didn't know otherwise was possible absolutely absolutely dr cola i mean i could ask you plenty of more questions but i need to respect your time so i'm going to ask you one last question you live to whatever year you want to live to right whether that's 150, what, you know, I'm seeing articles come out that people are going to be living to that age soon. You continue to write best-selling books, impacting people with the pod, with your practice, et cetera, et cetera. You leave the legacy with your children. You set them off, you know, the way that destiny unfolds. But you can only be remembered for one piece of advice, meaning I think of Dr. Cole, I think of this piece of advice. What is that advice? 
Wow. I mean, there's different levels to this. I think that there's different levels. I think with my job as a mantra at the clinic is you can't heal a body you hate. You, know, you can't shame your way into wellness. You can't obsess your way into health. So on a practical level, like what I do with in functional medicine is realizing that there's amazing science and tools and biohacks and therapies that we can do to improve your health. But if you're obsessing your way into health, that energy is going to create a completely different result. So there should be a grace and lightness into wellness. So that's a lot of my work is trying to balance the science and the art to wellness. You know, I think of there's this quote from Rabbi Rabbi Hillel and Jesus said something actually similar. He said, love God, love those around you. All the rest is commentary. So I think if I want to be ultimately like life remembered for something, it's that. We have a lot of pontification. We have a lot of noise. We have a lot of theories. We have a lot of arguing, a lot of tribalism in the world today. But really, when it comes down to it, it's like those two things are what truly matter, like how you treat other people and how you trick, how you, what's your relationship with God. I think that the rest is commentary when you put things into perspective like that. I love it. Dr. Cole, I'm expressing gratitude Actually, before we even head out, I'm going to make sure that websites, socials, programs, et cetera, are in the show notes, but anything specific that we should let people know about. Yeah, there's so much free resources at drwillcole.com. If they want to be empowered with actionable science-backed tips, I click, I link everything to the research in the on PubMed or wherever the journals are at. And all the options, we have new telehealth options for people at the clinic at drwillcole.com. We have a lot of group telehealth options to make them more accessible, more affordable to more people. We still have the one-on-one concierge telehealth for people who want to work one-on-one one running labs all that stuff at drwillcole.com podcast the art of being well new episode every week the links there are also in the site but you can listen to it wherever you podcast basically everything they want the book links everything's there it's like my house online (laughs) and this is welcome to my house i love it dr cole i appreciate this so much expressing gratitude for the opportunity thanks man You have just tuned into an all-new episode of the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend, Dr. Will Cole. Now, as mentioned toward the end of this episode, you could always connect with our guest in the show notes after every episode, whether you want to find the practice that Dr. Will Cole has ran successfully over the last 10 plus years. You could do so in the show notes, his books, his websites, his social, all of that good stuff, all of our guest info, always in the show notes of each and every episode. So make sure you check him out. And hey, listen, if you're going to connect with him, make sure you let him know that you heard him here on Decoding Success. Whether you're sharing this on Instagram or Twitter or X, whatever it's called, Facebook, LinkedIn, make sure that you are tagging him and myself so we can say thank you, give you love for sharing this and making an impact on the people in your life. Because remember, You were here for a reason. You could have listened to any other podcast. You could have listened to any other episode of this podcast, but you chose this one. Or hey, maybe this one chose you because there was something within it that needed to find you today, whether it was the straw that broke the camel's back for you to make a change or whether it was the seed that was finally planted for that change to come about in maybe a year from now. What was within this episode was necessary, and that is exactly why it found you. So make sure that you share it with the people in your life because, hey, it might need to find them too, and you have the opportunity to help them plant that seed or break the camel's back per se, although we don't want to break anyone's back here, but you get what I'm saying. Make sure you're sharing this next week. As always, brand new episode. We want you. We want you tapped in with this community, so make sure you are rocking with us each and every Wednesday. Until then, be blessed. Peace.